Ah, hey, how are you doing? Take the glasses off. It's Craig Beck here from StopDrinkingExpert.com. Now forget that I'm too old and putting the glasses back on. <laughs> Welcome into our Wednesday session. Uh, good to be back live with you today. Uh, good to have, oh, look at that Wi-Fi connection. It's terrible. Um, let me see if I can improve that somehow. I don't think I can. Ah, that's awful. Uh, let me know if it's a problem. Let me know if you can uh, if you can see me. Uh, this may be problematic. Anyway, let's say hello to a few people. Uh, Stephen Hall, hello from Western Massachusetts. Uh, hope you're feeling better and we'll be live today. A little over eight months alcohol-free, doing great. Thank you for all the support and love. Hit the like for Craig. Good. That Wi-Fi connection. What can I do about it? Probably nothing. Uh, we'll just have to log on and hope it, hopefully it uh, improves. Um, let's say hello to Ellie. Ellie, good morning. Alexander, good morning. Hello. Uh, Ronnie, good morning. I hope everyone is doing well. hope you're feeling better, Craig. Yeah, I'm feeling okay. Feeling good. Um, I'm three weeks into my radical lifestyle change. No sugar, no gluten, nothing that causes inflammation in the body. That's the plan. Uh, so, so far, so good. We carry on. Um, Bourneville, uh, here today early as a mess the last few. Welcome back in Bourneville. We've got Lisa Campbell here, first time. Uh, need support group badly. I've been trying to do it alone, but I can't. Stay with me, Lisa. I want to make a very important point today. Tracy's here. Good morning. Todd H. Good morning from California. Matt, hello. Um, Serenable, how are you feeling now, Craig? Thank you, uh, Serenable. Matt, at three months. Excellent. Stormy Else, good morning from Arizona, just over six months alcohol-free, finding it easier to have love and respect for myself. Awesome. Uh, hi, Natalie. Um, uh, Karen, day one sober, feels good this morning. Excellent. Um, we've got Natalie watching in New Jersey. On the sixth, I'll be one year alcohol-free. Your book was a huge help. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. I see other comments and other people popping up, and uh, I will return to that in a moment. There was just one point that I wanted to make today, and this is a, a, an appeal to people who watch this channel who are still drinking. Uh, and I think people who are or have a drinking problem can stay in this kind of stasis, this limbo period for many years under the belief that if it ever came down to it, if it ever got really serious, they would be able to reach out to someone else for help. And that person would be able to apply the fix, apply the cure, like go to your doctor, go to AA, go to rehab. There's always that safety net in the back of your head where you think, well, look, if things got really bad, I'd finally pluck up the courage, I'd go to my GP and I'd confess my sins and tell him exactly how much I'm drinking. And the doctor would get out his prescription pad and he would write the prescription for the cure and I would be okay. And I just want you to be aware, if that's you, if you're thinking, look, I'm still drinking, but I, I think, you know, if it ever got really bad, I'd take action at the moment. I'm just a little bit worried about it. When you get to that place where it's so bad that you're now asking or even begging for help, you may be shocked and disappointed to discover that the help isn't there in the form that you thought it was. For example, uh, 
I managed to pluck up the courage twice to go to my doctor and confess my drinking. The first time, and it took a lot for me to do this. I was scared. I was shaking. I was nervous. I didn't want to do it. But I went to my doctor and I sat down. And he said, yes, Mr. Beck, how can I help you? And I said, I'm very worried about how much I'm drinking. Uh, it's affecting my health. It's affecting my relationship. He said, how much are you drinking? And I told him. And he said, ah, you drink less than me. Try and cut down a bit. Off you go. And I left half happy, half sad, because the drinker side of me was happy that the doctor had effectively just given me permission to carry on drinking. Yay. But the other side of me was like, but I went in there with a problem, a serious problem. And you didn't do anything, doctor. So, you know, even if you've got a really open-minded and better doctor than I had, I've got some bad news for you. Doctors, as I've discovered in the last few months, are not in the business of healing people. That's not what they do. This is because of the way we train our doctors. Doctors are not into healing. Doctors are into applying labels to the symptoms that we present with and then giving us the agreed-upon pharmaceutical drug that goes with that label. But that's got nothing to do with healing. You know, you go to your doctor with acid reflux. What does he do? He gives you a prescription for something like Nexium, which is a, a drug that reduces your body's ability to create stomach acid. Has he healed the reason behind your acid reflux? No, he's just giving you, he's just giving you something that will cover up the symptoms, right? Go to your doctor with low mood or depression. What does he do? Writes out a prescription for an antidepressant. Has this cured your depression? No. It's just covered up the symptoms of your depression. And that's pretty much where it ends. That's the end of the story. That's what doctors do. Apart from surgical doctors that remove things from your body. But generally, if you go to your doctor with a symptom, he will give you a tablet that makes the symptom go away. And the tr same is true of alcohol. You go to your doctor with a drinking problem, and the best you can hope for is he's going to give you a prescription for something like antabuse, which will make you allergic to alcohol. Does that mean the doctor has now fixed your drinking problem? No, because you still believe that alcohol is a benefit at a subconscious level. And when the prescription runs out, guess what happens? You go back to drinking again. So I just wanted to kind of put a flag in the air and wave it about and say, look, if you're, if you're drinking under the assumption that at some point somebody is going to fix this problem for you, it's not going to happen. It's a delusion. Now, you can go to AA, you can go to rehab, and you can go to your doctor, and that will all help. But ultimately, you've got to do this for yourself. A switch has got to be flicked in your head that switches from non-drinker, sorry, from drinker to non-drinker. And, you know, I think this is why my course works so well, because at no point do I order you to stop drinking. At no point do I say, that's it, you're never allowed to drink again, because I know it won't work. I know you're only going to stop drinking when you flick the switch. So I'll leave that with you to think about. But if you're one of those people that are, you know, continuing to drink in the hope that one day someone else will apply the fix for you, I would encourage you to forget about that 
and get started today. If you want some more information, go to the website, stopdrinkingexpert.com. You can sign up for today's free quit drinking webinar. Right. Let's get back to these comments here. Uh, Ron Valley, tell us more about the causes of inflammation. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm writing a lot about this at the moment, Ron, um, because this is, um, you know, trying to turn um, one of those curved balls of life into a positive thing. Uh, and I've been researching a lot about diets and natural healing and things like that with my body. But there are a lot of things in modern day life that cause an inflammatory response from the body. And inflammation in, in small amounts, as we know, is okay. It's natural. If you, if you bang your knee on the edge of the table, your knee will swell up and be a bit hot and red for a while, and that's your body healing itself, of course. But if I repeatedly hit you on the knee with a hammer every day for five years, then you're talking about inflammation that's going to lead to something very serious. So if you, if you want to regain your health, I think the secret really is to, is to stop that inflammatory response in your body. Alcohol, one of the top three causes of inflammation in the body. Um, gluten is a major one. Uh, sugar, artificial sweeteners, um, E-numbers in food, air quality pollution, all these sorts of things cause inflammation in the body. Um, certain types of carbohydrates and things like that. So do some research into it, uh, Ron. It's a fascinating subject. Um, I will hopefully be bringing out a book next year about it when I've uh, when I've proved it works. Um, all right, Tom, this is good. Look at this. Tomorrow, I get to tell my kids who are visiting that I've been alcohol for three months. They'll faint. Wow. How old are your kids, Tom? Uh, are they at that age where they, they know, they kept, they know they're old enough to know that you've had a problem? Um, excellent. Can you imagine how it'll feel when you're one year? Keep doing it. Uh, Chris. Coming up to two years on the 1st of January, uh, I'm going to start doing intermittent fasting, 16-18 uh, plan. Good stuff. You see, Chris, I don't, do you agree with me here? You wouldn't have even been looking at this back when you were drinking. Because it, even if you'd started it, you would have messed it up within a few days, wouldn't you? Because the alcohol would have interfered with your brain and you were sent out for McDonald's and all that sort of stuff. And Ron's chalking up five years alcohol-free here. Well done, Ron. Superstar. Uh, uh, oh, what a name. How am I going to say this without, without insulting you and offending you? Uh, Chibangeli? Chibangeli Luzi. Is that right? Anyway, thanks for everything. Five months. Yes. Excellent. Um, Jesus Soto, one year sober today. Excellent, good man. Um, what else we got here? We got Rosita watching from Bulgaria, two weeks sober here, feeling great. Thank you. Rosita, you are a really good point now. Two weeks sober, and that evil clown that lives in your head, he's starting to get really weak and feeble now. So remember, if you get the urge to drink in the next few days, few weeks, few months. It's got nothing to do with alcohol. It's purely psychological conditioning. It's purely Pavlov and his dogs. It will be that you've walked into an environment where your subconscious mind expects alcohol to be in your system. Yeah. The, the, the body's a, a strange thing. 
if if I punched you on the arm, Rosita, every day for, let's say, a month, I don't know why I'm doing this, but let's say I punched you on the arm every day for a month. When I stopped, even though you may feel relief from this abuse stopping, you would also feel very uncomfortable and like something's missing. Something's missing in my life and I don't know what it is because your body gets accustomed to things. You know, This is how we cope with changes in life. So just be aware that if you get the urge to drink in the next couple of weeks, you may have unintentionally stood on an anchor so you might have gone to a location, a restaurant, or uh, you know, like someone's birthday or a wedding or something like that, where your subconscious mind expects alcohol to be in your system and it doesn't understand why it isn't. And so it makes you feel jittery and uncomfortable. Remember these words when that happens, okay? Angela, six weeks. Well done, superstar. Uh, Anita, hi, from Massachusetts. Judy, hello. Um, Let's have a look. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Um, Facebook user. Yes, doctors were a disappointment. Treat the symptom and not the cause. You know, it's been, when I was younger, I always had this very naive view that if you ever got ill, you go to a doctor and he fixes the problem. I, I've discovered that's, that's, that's not how it goes. You have to go to like eight, nine, ten doctors who all scratch their head and go, hmm, I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's not the miraculous situation that I always expected it to be. Um, Johnny Cola, I found social media was a trigger. I compare myself to others a lot. I, I live on my own and a lot of my peers are married with kids, etc. If you want to feel horrible about yourself, spend some time on social media. You know, I used to have a friend um, who was in an abusive relationship. Uh, his girlfriend was just awful to him. She used to bully him. She used to, uh, she refused to let him have friends. She wouldn't, you know, he had to ask permission to go anywhere. She absolutely dominated him. It was a horrendous situation. But if you looked at his Facebook feed, you would think he was the happiest man alive. You would think he was so in love that, you know, Romeo and Juliet weren't even that in love. From looking at his social media feed, you'd think this guy, oh, I'm so jealous of him. He just has the most perfect life. He was miserable. So social media is not real, very toxic, and best avoided. Um, let's have a look. Uh, Anita, I relapsed. I'm now sober for three days. Good. Keep going. Um, don't beat yourself up too much. The clown got you. No, don't, you know, he knows everything about you. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows your biggest fears. He knows what motivates you. He knows how to scare you. He knows how to make you laugh. He knows everything. So if you've relapsed, if you fall off the wagon, have a quiet moment where you analyze how he got you, all right? And don't ever let him get him get you the same way twice. Be smarter than that. Uh, Karen, writing from Philly. Made it to a live finally. Thank you, Craig. Feeling amazing. You demand. Thank you. 
Um, Meredith, preach Craig. Not a fan of just treating symptoms and not the source of the problem. It's true, isn't it? It's the world we live in. Um, Judith S. Hello, Sir Beck. <laughs> I restarted your course, got past day one and on day 12, and I have a Facebook member, and we're keeping each other accountable and supporting each other. Good. Whatever works. If you need someone to check in with, if you want to do it with someone else, perfect. Doesn't Whatever works for you. Um, Brad, why does society not talk about how alcohol causes cancer more? Uh, I think the answer to that, Brad, is multiple, uh, multifold. First of all, the industry actively suppresses it. Big alcohol, the alcohol producers, are suing people who mention that. And you might think, well, let them sue. We know it's true. It's, it's not whether you're right or wrong in this case. Unfortunately, it's whether you've got the money to go head-to-head -head with big alcohol, a multi-billion dollar industry in a court of law. Uh, and, you know, 99.9% .9 of people don't. So publications, governments, councils, local authorities, whenever they put out warning letters and information to their society, their community they get a letter in the post from a big swanky lawyer threatening to sue them on behalf of insert alcohol company. And they fold, they back down because they think we haven't got the budget to spend millions of dollars defending and fighting the alcohol industry. So that's the first reason. And that's how evil the alcohol industry is. It's exactly like big tobacco was in the 1970s. This is, a, this is an industry that kills its customers and knows that it kills its customers, but is doing everything possible to bury that information. That's evil. So that's the first reason. The second reason is people don't want to hear it. People just don't want to hear it. You put up a story on social media about, you can make it up if you want. Let's make up a story. Uh, let's say that whiskey... Um, makes your hair stronger. If I put up a story today saying whiskey has been found to improve the strength of hair follicles in seven out of 10 people, it will get liked and shared all over the place. It will get people tagged in it. It will get reshared. It will get retweeted. You'll find it on TikTok. It'll go everywhere. But if I put up a story about how alcohol increases your chance of getting breast cancer by like 100%, It'll get like three clicks. It'll get a couple of likes. And very slowly, the Facebook algorithm will say, nobody cares about this story. It'll disappear down the rank and nobody will ever see it. The Western world, the population, the drinking world just want to live in their bubble of unreality where alcohol is a social pleasantry, where it's nothing to worry about. It's a treat at the end of the day. They do not want to be made aware of the truth. Uh, and that is pure ostrich syndrome. It's sticking your head in the sand and saying, blah, 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 blah. Don't tell me, don't tell me. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> Maybe, Matt. Stop drinking, smoking, and sugar, and we'll live to be 100. Maybe. <laughs> um, let's have a look. What else we got? Ah, okay, Tom. Tom's kids are coming over. 41 and 37, and he gets to tell them that he's been sober for three months. 
so they're well and truly of the age where they'll be aware of what uh, what this means to you. So that's that's a great situation, Tom. Can't wait to see you on here posting the six-month mark. Um, Stormy says, I'm definitely making healthier choices now that I'm not drinking. Yeah. Yeah, because the alcohol, you know, it switches off all those parts of your brain that make sensible decisions. Uh, you know, how many how many people, you know, drink two bottles of wine and then make themselves a nice healthy salad? It never happens, does it? You send out for McDonald's, you send out for pizza, you go and get a kebab. It just messes with the, the sensible part of your brain. It makes you stupid. Uh, Angela, reading your book was the solution for me to understand that I never want to drink alcohol any, anymore. A great help. Heard the German version and hear it again and again. My good friend Robert Bukal is the voice on the German version. He also did the translation. And if you're in Germany... Uh, go to Amazon, go to Audible, and type in alcohol hat mit belogen, and uh, you will find the German version of my book. And Robert did a fantastic job. Um, Sean V, morning from Los Angeles here at 6 a.m. for King Bag. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, Matt, don't bash doctors because our society asks for the easy fix. Yeah, no, totally, Matt. I get it. It's not, you know, the doctors are providing the service that people want. We live in a in a society that wants instant gratification. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy. People get ill, and what they want is a tablet. They want to go to the doctor, and they want to be given a tablet that makes it all go away. They don't want to be told, change your lifestyle. They would rather live with the problem than change their lifestyle. And especially when it comes to alcohol, there are so many people that go to the doctor with a health problem. The doctor gives them a prescription and says, oh, but you can't drink alcohol with these tablets. And they don't even file the prescription. They don't even get the medication because they, they, don't, they would rather have the health problem than stop drinking. How insane is that? But that's the world we live in. Craig is bringing back the mullet haircut, I hope. Uh, no, look, you know that I occasionally shave my head. Uh, it won't happen again. I've been told by my wife never, ever to do it again. Um, she doesn't like it at all. So when this grows back, I will be getting proper haircuts, I promise. I've been told. Uh, Laurie, can't thank you enough. One year, 10 months, alcohol-free. Nice. Very good. Um, Trevor, good morning, Craig. Trevor from Ohio. The struggle is real, but I won't give up the fight. One day at a time, Trevor. One day at a time. One moment at a time. You, you don't have to think about this forever. Just, just know that in this moment you're sober, and that's a perfect thing. And hopefully that moment will continue with you. No point thinking about the future. Um, Chris says, yeah, you're right, Craig. If I was still drinking, I would not have thought about intermittent fasting. I read it's good against uh, inflammation. Yeah, I've heard that as well, yeah. Uh, any, I think, you know, any sort of sensible eating where you, you take a considered approach to what you're putting in your body is good for inflammation. If you consider what you're doing before you do it. Onel, good morning, Onel. Welcome in from Connecticut. 
let's have a look here. Facebook user. Ed Morley. Hi, Craig, from Chesterfield, UK. Coming up to 10 months now, and I've got to say I'm loving it. I picked up a lot of new hobbies now, though. Huh? Instead of drinking, I always walk the dog after work. I've always said dogs love sober people. I've got an off-road bike now that I'm currently fixing up. I even started uh, skating again at skate parks. And on top of that, I've even started paintballing. I want to thank you for all your knowledge that you've passed on to us. Fantastic, Ed. You're doing it perfectly. Always replace the alcohol. Never leave a vacuum behind. Um, excellent. You couldn't have got it more right. Well done. Uh, UFO nut, three years, no alcohol. The mindset change takes time. Thank you, Craig, for this point of view. It really gets easier with time. Thank you, UFO. Uh, Tally, um, six months sober, thanks to your course. Keep doing you, brother. Nice. Thank you, Tally. Turning tree, hi. Um Karen, most colleges have a freshman short course about handling alcohol and decisions as kids head off to Freeman. I really think this info about poison needs to be included. You know, the problem is, uh, Karen, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's laudable, it's good, it's better than not doing it, I suppose. But they're not, you know, I think, what, what's that expression? You know, uh, when the student is ready, the, the master, the teacher will appear. Uh, these kids are, are not really open to that sort of information they're, they're, they're just ready to have a good time it's just it's laudable but i'm not sure how effective it is often you have to learn by your mistakes don't you um but hey it's better than not doing it i guess um what else we got here <laughs> uh greet angela in sydney australia hi angela uh, a nerdy narwhal she's right you know women are always right so they tell me. So they tell me frequently. Um, heartburn. How come we can have all these craft beer pubs popping up all over, but yet the alcoholism is a major and expensive problem? Some breweries even made home deliveries during the lockdown. Um, Alcoholism is an expensive problem for who, is, I guess, my question there. Um, because it's like smoking, isn't it? You know, there's always an argument that the smoking costs the health service this many billions of dollars, this many billions of pounds. But then you've got to counter that with the amount of tax that they make, the government makes. And this, this is very true of alcohol. You know, governments make a lot of money on taxing alcohol. But I don't believe any government would have the balls to ban it or to restrict it because it's not a vote winner. They'd just lose the next general election. They would lose the next you know, chance to be in power. Any government who restricted the general public's access to their favorite drug would lose. Also, there's a benefit in the general public drinking a substance that makes them stupid. I mean, look at the UK. The UK is run by Liz Truss. <laughs> the table leg of this table has more intelligence. It's an advantage to political parties 
that a vast majority of the voting public drink a liquid that makes them stupid. Because if the general public woke up to what is really going on, my God, things might change. And we can't have that. Leave Hughes. Greetings from Ontario, Canada. Uh, you're welcome, Lee. 41 days. Nice. Very good. Uh, we've got Cardiff, 1823. Good morning from San Jose. Del Cabo. Um, just found a chan channel earlier today. You're very welcome. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button for me. Thank you. Uh, Ian, uh, with the Scottish spelling of the word, Ian. Hi from Scotland. Did five days now, starting again. Routine caught me out. I think I need new hobbies. Everything you say makes so much sense. About to fill that time with something else. Thanks for your time. Yeah, you look, Ian, the, the first two weeks, the first two to three weeks of sobriety a kind of phase one of this journey. And it's very different from phase two or maintenance where, you know, the future. Phase one, you got to have a plan because so many things are going on that you've got some fights coming up that might be unexpected. First of all, when you quit drinking, the days go from being 24 hours long to being 27 hours long. Sober people live in a world where days are 27 hours long. And that sounds like a good thing. Yay, more time. But it's not a good thing if you're bored and you're lonely and you're frustrated. So you got to fill your days. That means when you start, when you stop drinking, you got to look at your diary for the next three weeks. And if you see any day where you've got nothing penciled in, fill it. Put something in there that means you're busy. Just for three weeks. You know, take the kids on extra outings, take your wife or your husband out for a meal or out to the movies or something like that. Make sure you go and see your parents or go and see friends you haven't seen in a long time. But make sure for three weeks, having gone sober, your feet don't touch the ground because you do not want to be sitting on the sofa one night watching Netflix, bored and lonely because the clown's going to come and say, hey, you don't need to feel like this. There's a bottle in the fridge. Kev Jackson's in Vietnam. Hi, Kev. Um, Todd H. I go to a sports bar on football Sundays to watch the games, seeing the beer flow and getting people you know, people getting wasted. All I think is in the morning, these people will feel like death. I'm thankful to be sober. You know what I enjoy that, Todd? Uh, if I fly business class, um, you get on the plane, they give you a glass of champagne, then they serve you some wine, and then they serve you a meal, and then they serve you whiskey and brandy. And I always sit there, and I'm, I'm always watching one or two people and how much they're drinking. And there's a little bit of me, I'm not jealous, I, I don't want to join them, there's a little bit of me annoyed. <laughs> I feel like I should get a discount on my ticket, because that guy over there, he's just had about $100 worth of champagne, about $50 worth of whiskey, and I feel like I should get some sort of rebate. But that aside, I watch them, and then I always make a point of looking at them when we've touched down, and they look awful. You know, it's maybe a 10, 12, 11-hour flight, so you've got jet lag, and the fact that they've just consumed, you know, like a week's worth of alcohol in the space of a few hours, they look awful, and it's a beautiful moment. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for mentioning the terrible prime ministers. Can you believe how bad she is? Thick Lizzie, they call her. Unbelievable. Um, 
Oh, well, really, Kelly? I heard a few weeks ago that uh, New York City was having a blood donor shortage, so they were offering coupons for beer at a pub if you donated. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Um, okay, we're going to wrap up soon. Let's see who we're going to give the following uh, few questions to do. Um, Uh, yes, exactly, Stephen. That's quite right. Politicians are often photographed with a pint of beer to demonstrate how in touch with the common man and uh, a vote winner is. You do see that, don't you? You see, especially in England, they love to have a politician at a country pub raising a pint of beer. And I guess the you know the marketing experts have said this will make it appear that you're the sort of man that you could go to the pub and have a bit of a chat with. This is all before they get into their Rolls Royce and a chauffeur driven back to their mansion in the countryside, of course. Um, leave use. Went from drinking a bottle of vodka a day, went to the doctor after dealing with chest pain and pain in my right side for a while. Got a clean bill of health and decided it was a second chance. Yeah. You know, if you want, um, if you want a wake-up call, if you want to get that second chance without having to go through some horrendous health problem, watch the movie Click. It's by Adam Sandler, all right? It's not, it's not a, supposed to be a serious movie. It's a comedy movie. But what I want you to do is watch the movie, and when he, he, whenever he uses the universal remote control, which is the pinnacle, uh, pivotal point of the movie, I want you to think about alcohol. He basically destroys his life. He loses everything. Loses his family, loses his job, loses his health, loses everything because of this universal remote control. Watch the movie Click tonight, and you'll cry your eyes out. I bet you. I bet you. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, John, hi, Craig, and everyone from sunny London. Is it sunny? Good. I'm going to London in about two weeks' time for the first time in six months. Um. Anton, is apple vinegar good for withdrawal? I don't know, Anton. I see, I, you know, I see all these articles that apple vinegar is good for everything. If you Google it now, what is apple vinegar good for? It'll give you a list of 100 things. It even claims it cures cancer. But A, it tastes like piss. <laughs> and B, I've never seen it do anything. So maybe it's placebo. Maybe it works. I don't know. Uh, I can't recommend it. Um, <laughs> I'm losing my hair. Does beer really make your hair stronger? Um, no, no, it doesn't, I'm afraid. Um, sorry about that. Um, Desiri, hello, Craig, from RI. Uh, can't seem to overcome the cravings during the first 70 days of sobriety. All right, Desiri, are you doing my course? If not, you should be. Go to stopdrinkingexpert.com, sign up for the free webinar. I'll talk you through the process. The first 14 days of quitting drinking, um, the, the, the evil clown, which is alcohol, that you have invited to live in your head, is gonna, he's going to hit you with a stick repeatedly and make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, he's going to make you feel anxious. It's that jittery sensation where you're not comfortable in your own skin and you vocalize it of, oh, I could do with a drink. All right? Whenever you feel like that, it is the drug hitting you with a stick and saying to you, 
Look, do you want this pain to go away? Have a drink. And so you have a drink and you go, oh. Why do you do that? Because the drug stops beating you up. You've been a good girl. You complied with what he or she told you to do. And so understanding how this process is working is how you break that first 14-day process. Because this drug is going to keep hitting you and making you comply, and then it's going to wait 24 hours, and it's going to start the process again. This is why most people drink around the same time every day. For me, 6 o'clock when I got home from work. Coat off, bottle of wine open. Coat off, bottle of wine open. Did that for a decade. So sign up for the webinar, and I'll talk you through the process. But understanding how the magician is performing the trick is the secret to beating this, all right? Judith S., watch the click. It wasn't funny. It was sad. Very powerful message. Makes me cry, Judith. Every time makes me cry my eyes out. Uh, especially, you know, I, well, I won't say any more about it because I don't want to spoil it for you. But watch it. Watch click. All right. Last comment. Who are we going to give the last comment to? Um, here we go. Steve W., you're getting the last comment. Do you think there is hope for the perpetual quitter, failer, faller? Uh, I'm almost an expert at quitting. For months at a time, something slips. I can't believe it. Yeah, look, Steve. Uh, what's who? I can't remember who said it, but uh, there is a very famous quote that goes, um, "Why quitting drinking is easy. I've done it thousands of times." Um, I spent a solid five years of my life in a perpetual state of failing to quit drinking, trying everything, everything. The most stupid, most ridiculous, most dangerous things that you can think of. I tried it. You know, pres ordering prescription drugs from bogus doctors in, in India. Um, using silly gimmicks. Using herbal supplements. Locking my alcohol in a time delay safe so I couldn't get access to it. Drinking a glass of water for every everything you've ever heard of, I tried it. For five years, I failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. And that will continue as long as you subconsciously believe that alcohol is a benefit. You can go weeks, you can go months, you can go years sober and then relapse. If you keep that thing in your head, that alcohol is somehow a benefit that you are now being deprived of. This is why I don't like AA. Because you go to AA and they say, you're an alcoholic, you can never drink alcohol again. And you celebrate one year sober, two years sober, three years sober. But it's never anything more than that. It's never more than you're a broken alcoholic and you can never have the thing that you want most on planet Earth again. And you must force yourself to stay away from it. Well, as long as you believe it's a benefit, then you're always going to feel like you're deprived. You're always going to feel like you're missing out on something. And to, to you, Steve, I would say, look, you know, and I make this point over and over again. I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but I'll make it again because I think it's powerful. You will have a reason why you drink, Steve. It'll be something like it helps me relax. It helps me cope with life. It gives me a high. It 
helps me escape reality. It helps me do this. It helps me do that. You will have a reason why you think alcohol is a benefit. And I'm telling you here and now that there is a better substance out there to do that job. And it's called heroin. If you want to get a high from taking a drug, then take heroin. It's better. The high is much higher, like a thousand times higher. If you want to escape reality, forget about alcohol. Inject yourself with heroin. Now you're thinking, well, that's ridiculous, Craig. How can you suggest such a thing? I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying that it's better at doing with the job that you say it's going to do than alcohol. And the reason you don't use heroin is because this is right. Because your programming around heroin is perfect. You got it right. So if you keep falling off the wagon, Steve, it's because you still haven't really fixed this. This has got nothing to do with you being weak or not having willpower or failing or falling or what, however you want to describe it. It's got nothing to do with any of that. There's nothing wrong with you as a person. You just haven't fixed the program in your head that tells you that alcohol is a benefit. That's all. Only thing wrong with you. Once you fix that, all of these slip-ups will go. Uh, and that's what my course is about. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, be my pleasure to spend some time with you and uh, hopefully see you next week. Thanks a lot. And it's the only drug on planet Earth that when you get a problem with it, they blame you and not the drug. That doesn't happen with any other substance. If you think about it, cigarettes. You tell someone you're addicted to cigarettes, they don't go, oh, you dirty smokeaholic. You're broken, weak-willed smokeaholic. You're going to be a smokeaholic for the rest of your life. They don't, they don't do that. They don't give you that label and say, well, that's it. You're broken forever now. I really consider this because it's different. It's, it's different to anything you can find out there. And it's, it gives you real mental freedom from the clutches of alcohol. I had an email about ooh, six months ago from a lady. She said, I was thinking about joining your course, but then I've just seen that red wine is good for your heart. How do you defend against that, Mr. Stop Drinking Expert? <laughs> yeah, it must be true. I said, well, the, the defense against it is it's not true. And that's the biggest defense you can always have.